So one of my uh, favorite stories is of the parents who are nervous because they're preparing their 16-year-old daughter for her very first ever date. They get even more nervous when they open the front door and they see the date. He's on a motorcycle. He's got the black leather uh, jacket. He's got the helmet. He's covered in tattoos. He's got places on his body pierced they didn't know could be pierced. And he looks like he's at least 29 years old. The father uh, politely closes the door for a moment and turns to the daughter and says, Honey, I'm kind of nervous about this date. And she said, Daddy, why would you be nervous? Well, your date, I'm not sure he's very nice. And she says, Daddy, if he wasn't nice, would he be doing 5,000 hours of community service? It's very hard to create a new future once you've been given a label. And people are good at giving labels, even church people. In fact, I might even say sometimes, especially church people. That's one of the reasons I've always been drawn to these unique parables in the Gospel of Luke. And today we're going to begin a series that's going to take us several months as we look at some of the stories that are only in the Gospel of Luke. I find them delightful, but I find them disturbing because these stories remind me I better not be quick to make judgments about people as to who is good or bad or ugly. Because these stories will always catch you off guard. They seem to always have surprise endings. In the Jewish world, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. But that's not how Jesus told the story. You can't imagine how shocking it would be in their day to hear a story about a Pharisee and a publican going to a temple. And it's the publican that goes home justified. And Luke has filled his gospel with these amazing stories because he's writing to a church that is trying to embrace this new way of Jesus that has obliterated all these old boundaries that so long they had used to categorize people. But now in this new way of Jesus, there's no longer male or female. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. In this new way of Jesus, those old labels don't work anymore. And so Luke sends them all these amazing stories about people with labels that have surprise endings. Don't be so quick to know who's good or bad or ugly. The prodigal son that embarrassed and insulted his dad actually turns out to be good. And the boy who stayed home and took care of his dad actually turns out to be ugly. And these parables say, don't be so sure you know how God looks at people. Because God's vision transcends labels and categories. When Hamilton College was having their centennial, they asked one of their most famous alumni, Alexander Wolcott, to come back and give a major address. And this is how he began his speech. I send my greetings today to all my fellow alumni of Hamilton College scattered all over the world. And some of you are successes and some of you are failures. Only God knows which 
are which. And we're going to see that over and over. We're going to hear a story about a rich man that had linen for underwear. That was unheard of in Jesus' day. And outside his gate, there's a man who has dogs lick his stores. But at the end of the story, the rich man's in hell and the beggar's in Abraham's bosom. Who was the success? Who was the failure? We're going to see it over and over. We're in for a real fun study. And our first story is actually going to illustrate the truth with real characters. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. We'll get to the parable in just a moment. But first we have to set up the context in which the parable was told. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now... You should know that this is not a unique instance for Jesus. Now, we know he would eat with sinners and tax collectors, but he would eat with Pharisees. At least two other times in Luke's gospel, he did this. Jesus was a preacher. If you offered him a free meal, he showed up. He would eat with the rejected, and he would eat with the respected, because he knew what everybody needs to know. And what this man didn't know yet, that every meal Jesus ever ate was dinner with a sinner. Look at the next three verses then. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. you got an incredible contrast here, Simon and this woman. And the story implies that somewhere in the past, this woman had this transforming encounter with Jesus. She had met him somewhere. She had somehow received the good news. And she has come to say, thank you. Later, we'll read in verse 47 that Jesus says of her, I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she's shown me much love. You see, she was not coming to earn forgiveness. She was coming to thank God. Jesus for forgiveness already extended she was coming to thank Jesus for loving a label and here's what she thought that grace is amazing that grace could be extended to somebody like her that she wasn't just a category anymore to be disdained and her gratitude was so deep that her emotions overwhelmed her composure see she did not come to wash Jesus feet If she had, she would have brought a towel to dry them. She came to anoint Jesus' feet. But she got in the presence of a man that for the first time in her life didn't treat her like a label. And she couldn't hold it anymore. The the word used for cry is that word not just for sniffling. It's that kind of crying that's deep down in your gut where you just bend over. And she just began to sob. And as she did, the tears were so big they came out of her eyes and they splattered on his feet. And now his feet are all wet and she doesn't have a towel. And so she's trying to make things better and she makes them worse because in that culture, a woman never lets her hair down in public unless she's a loose woman. But she's got nothing else. 
She, she's so overwhelmed and all of her actions in some ways are more profound than words. And so she's just crying and she's sobbing and, and she's taking her hair down and she's, she's trying to clean up the mess that she's made. And she takes the only thing she probably owns that's worth anything and she takes that perfume and starts to pour it on the feet. That's what she came to do in the first place. And Jesus is moved. But he can barely enjoy the fragrance of the perfume or of her devotion. Because somebody in the room has a really stinky attitude. Have you ever noticed that every time Jesus went to a party, there was a pooper? (laughs) And Simon is dismayed that this tramp would walk into his house and come to his party. But he's even more disturbed at the welcome she got from Jesus. And I tell you what he's thinking. He's thinking, this is disgraceful. He's just like Jonah in the Old Testament. He's just like the elder brother we'll read about later in Luke 15 in the New Testament. There are always people who think we've got to help God. Because if we don't, God will go out there and give grace to people who don't deserve it. And so Jonah says, God, I knew what you'd do. You'd give grace to those Ninevites if someone didn't try to stop you. That's why I went the other way. The elder brother says, what are you doing throwing a party for this punk son of yours? You see, someone's got to be on charge to guard God. Because if you don't, God will go out there and give grace to people who aren't good enough. And that's what he's thinking. Simon believed in salvation By separation. And that view always demands labels. How am I going to know who to separate myself from? Unless I come up with categories to put you in. And so consistent with his view, he decides Jesus needs a label too. And the label he's ready to give him is not Very holy. Because he thinks if Jesus was a prophet, he wouldn't have dinner with a sinner. But Jesus proves he is a prophet. Because he reads Simon's mind. And look at what he says. And now comes our parable. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Now, isn't this a strange question? Do you see this woman? Simon hadn't been able to take his eyes off of her. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered does not stop kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much. 
But he who has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He's done it again. He told a story with a surprise ending and he totally turned the tables on Simon. Simon thought he was in position of judge. And he winds up in the position of the accused. And Jesus is basically saying to Simon, Simon, I do know what kind of woman she is. But I also know what kind of man you are. So why are you upset that I have dinner with a sinner? I'm having dinner with you. You see, this story has some profound implications for us this morning. Here's the first. It's good news that Jesus forgives sinners. Now, some of us have come to church so long, we have forgotten what good news that is. It's good news. Jesus forgives sinners. He taught and he embodied a gospel that transcended labels. He said, do you see this woman? He's not questioning Simon's vision. He's questioning Simon's heart. What do you see when you see a woman like this? Some years ago in his book, Who Switched the Price Tags, Tony Campalo tells this neat story. He was teaching his sociology class up in Pennsylvania, and his room was full of students who weren't Christians, and he thought he would have a discussion that could lead to showing the superiority of Christ. And so he starts class with this question, what would the major world religion say about prostitution? And they have this real lively discussion. And of course, where he's going is, what would Jesus say to a prostitute to show that Jesus was a superior? So he says, finally, after he set them up, what would Jesus say to a prostitute? And he's got this student in his class who's Jewish and says, Jesus never saw a prostitute. And Tony thinks, well, he just doesn't know his New Testament. So he flips out his New Testament. Oh, yes, he did. No, Jesus never met a prostitute. So Campalo turns to different passages. I can show you right here he did. And the student got kind of angry and said, Doctor, you're not listening to me. Do you think when he saw Mary Magdalene, he saw a prostitute? Do you think that's how he looked at women like her? Jesus never met a prostitute. Tony said it took someone who didn't even accept Jesus to teach him about Jesus. Jesus didn't see labels. Labels are the creation of the enemy. And he will use people. Even church people. Sometimes, especially church people. To try and form an identity that Jesus wants to transform. Some years ago, my wife got me a shirt as a gift, and I loved that shirt, and I wore it a lot. And we're out to eat one night at a Mexican restaurant, and somehow a big old glob of salsa got on that shirt. I don't know, probably the kids did it, but it got on there. (laughs) And Jamie said, don't worry, I can get that out. 
And she did her magic. And I'm telling you, by the time she was through, if you took a magnifying glass, you might be able to see the faintest outline of a former stain. But just standing in front of me, there's no way you would have noticed. But I did. All I could ever see every time I saw that shirt was stain, stain, stain. I never wore it again. The enemy wants to haunt you with past stains. Because God will never haunt you with the memory of a sin he's forgiven. And so if that memory comes back, where did it come from? See, the good news is that Jesus liberates us from the shame of an old name. And here's this woman. She's been a label for years in that town. But now she is not ashamed to come to a place where everybody said, you don't belong. Why? Because she knew how Jesus saw her. That's why I love how Colossians 1.11 reads from the message. It's in Christ that we find out who we are. In Christ we find out we're forgiven and that we're invited to come to dinner. It really is good news. Jesus forgives sinners. That's why I think it's such bad theology to place trust in my goodness instead of God's. That's what Simon had done. That's why he kept labels. Because Simon's view of righteousness said that it's earned and it's paid for through good deeds and right living. It's a theology that is guaranteed to promote pride. Because you come up with ways to separate yourself from people that don't measure up. What it cannot produce is peace. You notice at the end of the story, Jesus gave that woman the one thing Simon could never have. Peace. And I know what I'm talking about. Because for years, I thought like Simon. I was Simon. According to my theology, you impressed God by being more right than anybody else. Morally, doctrinally, and I had labels for everybody. I was taught labels. This is what you called people that didn't do the things you were not supposed to do. This is what you called people that didn't go to the right church. And we had labels for all kinds of people. And it filled me with pride. The one thing it never did was fill me with peace. Because what if there was somebody more right than me? Now, Jesus' theology, notice the difference, does not say that all people sin equally. Nor does it say that all sin has the same temporary consequence. That's not true. If I deceive my wife and cheat on my marriage, that does more collateral damage than if I deceive my wife and cheat on my diet. Jesus doesn't say everybody sins the same amount. And Jesus doesn't say it doesn't matter what the sin is. They all do the same damage. No. What he does say is that all of us have sinned. 
And none of us have the resources to pay our debt to God. How many sins does it take to send a person to hell? One. Just one. Do you realize God could totally glorify His justice if He sent wrath on all of us? But instead, He chooses mercy. He's the master who says, I'm not, I don't care who sinned the most. I choose to cancel the debts of anyone who asks. So you got these two theologies. And you've got to decide which one you're going to bank your eternity on. And I like the story I've told several times of the lady upset at the photographer when she got her pictures back. And she said, these pictures don't do me justice. He says, lady, you don't need justice. You need mercy. <laughs> do you really think when Jesus said, he that's been forgiven little loves little, he thinks there are people that have only been forgiven little? I think he's speaking tongue in cheek, just like he did two chapters earlier when he says, now the healthy don't need a doctor. Is there anybody out there who's healthy? We've all been forgiven much. Because we've all sinned much. Can you go a day without sinning? Can you go an hour? I have honestly been praying this prayer some lately. I want to share it with you. Dear God, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. And I'm thankful for that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. (laughs) And from then on, I'm probably going to need some help. Amen. And so why should we mind it if this church becomes full of sinners? It already is. Every week we come to dinner and we take some bread and we take some wine and we remind ourselves that we're forgiven. Not because we're so good, but because God is. Ephesians 1, 7 says, He's so rich in kindness, He purchased our freedom through the blood of His Son, and our sins are forgiven. And He has showered His kindness on us. Now, if you can't see that truth about yourself, you're going to constantly be offended at who shows up at the table. But if you can, if you know who you really are, you know you should love much. And you know that love has to be declared. And there's one more, I think, very important point in this story that could be missed. I believe that the story is saying that it's ugly. When a high view of self produces a low view of praise. It was just common courtesy in that day when you have a dinner party that you wash the feet of your guest and you kiss him on the cheek. Why didn't Simon extend that to Christ? Because he was so 
impressed with himself, he wasn't about to make that itinerant rabbi his equal. Let me tell you something about the self-righteous. They can fake a lot. They can't fake passion for Christ. They can't fake worship. They do not come to Christ extravagantly. But forgiven sinners can't come any other way. Do you notice how she magnificently compensates for everything Simon should have done? And what is particularly, I think, beautiful. Do you notice that she takes the very things that she had been using to sin with? Her hands, her lips, her hair, her perfume. And now she uses them to worship. I'm reminded of Romans 12, 1. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will accept when you think of what He's done for you. Is this too much to ask? Another version says, this is your spiritual act of worship. See, one of the things that we're going to find in all of these stories that Jesus tells, he hardly ever wraps it up tidy at the end. He makes you wonder what happened next. How did Simon respond? Did he keep his bad theology and his ugly heart? Or did he start to tear up and get down on his knees beside his fellow sinner at the feet of Jesus? I've known a lot of Simons. It's not hard to recognize them when you've win one yourself. I've known fewer people like this sinful woman. But you don't forget them when you meet them. I want to tell you about one. I haven't told this story in over 10 years. And so a lot of you don't know this story. And you need to know this story because it's a part of the history of your church. When I came to this church in 1989, 20 years ago, one of the first things I noticed, we're having worship service. And right back there in the middle auditorium, there was this guy. He had long hair and a beard and a motorcycle t-shirt, and blue jeans. His name was Billy Ben. You noticed him because back then his clothing was a little atypical. But you noticed him more because every time we worshipped, if we sang a song that said praise God or hallelujah, his hands did like this. And 20 years ago, you didn't do that in the Church of Christ, even this one. And he would just stand there and do this. Now, you're not going to believe this, but it bothered some people. (laughs) And some people called the elders, and the elders were so cool. They said, listen, Billy's just so excited because he got saved. He'll calm down and be like the rest of us for long. (laughs) But he never did calm down. See, you need to know the backstory. Billy had struggled over 20 years with terrible drug addictions. And we say rather flippantly, yeah, Jesus rescued me. No, Billy knew what it meant to use the word rescue. 
He was rescued. And so he wasn't doing it for show. He didn't even notice anybody around him. Just If it came time to talk about Jesus saving somebody, he had to do that. And he did that. His favorite song was, On bended knee I come. With a humble heart I come. Bowing down before your holy throne. Lifting holy hands to you. He never did calm down. In fact, it got contagious. People started coming early to sit in the billy section. And he came up to me a few years later. This guy with little education who lived in a house smaller than most of your garages. He said, I want to memorize the book of Ecclesiastes and share it with the church. My first thought was, oh, Billy, you're doing drugs again. Sure, Billy, you go do that. Godspeed, brother. He came back one month later says, I've got it. And he stood up the next Sunday night before this church dressed like Solomon. And he quoted the book of Ecclesiastes, all 11 chapters. Didn't miss a word. Next year, he did the book of James. The next year, he did the book of 1 Peter. He stood right here on Sunday morning dressed like Peter and quoted the whole book. On Wednesday, I got the phone call. Billy's in the hospital. Billy didn't know he was diabetic. All his years of abuse took its toll. He went into a coma. He died on Thursday. The next Sunday, right here, we had his funeral. One of the biggest I've ever preached. And when we sang, On Bended Knee I Come, 700 people held up their hands in tribute to Billy. Because Billy taught us The gospel is for sinners. And forgiven sinners can only come to Jesus one way. Sold out. No matter what anybody else thinks. You see, I want to know what happened to this woman. This story screams for a church for her to go to. What's going to happen to her when she leaves the party? She desperately needs a community of forgiven and forgiving sinners. And so do you. I hope we're that kind of church. We were for Billy. And if you're wondering whether or not we are, Just watch us when we worship. And you will see whether or not we can see. Would you stand up, please? And as we praise the name of Jesus, if you would like to be baptized today, you can come down to the front. If you would like to pray with an elder or minister, go right now to the chapel and we will receive you. But we're going to take a moment, a room full of forgiven sinners, and tell Jesus what we think about him.